Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to The Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Boudis. In today's episode, we'll talk about mistakes I see people make with allocating investments in their 401k. It's the second part of a three-part series. In the last episode, we discussed mistakes when contributing to 401ks, and in the final and third episode next, we'll discuss mistakes that people make when taking distributions or withdrawing from your 401k. We're constantly hearing about how the stock market's doing in the media, and with 401ks being a lot of people's biggest asset, the investments in them and how they're doing are obviously a huge concern for people. So we'll go over a couple of the mistakes I see people make, and these are not in any particular order. But the first one I see is when someone doesn't choose investments. Years back, the default investment in a 401k used to be a money market account. So if you didn't make any elections on how to allocate your 401k, it would go into basically cash and it would just sit there until you actually went in and did something with it. And luckily that's changed I think about in 2006 or maybe even a little bit later than that with the invention of something called the target date fund. So the way a target date fund works is it is this pre-built portfolio that you would invest in and, and the target, the name of the target date fund would have a year as the suffix and you would pick the target date fund closest to the year that you expect to retire. And what that target date fund will do is as it gets closer to that year, it will automatically adjust the risk in the investments in there with the theory that, you know, as you're getting closer to retirement, you want to pare down the risk. We'll talk a little bit more about target date funds in a little while. Sometimes these are a great option. Sometimes they're not a good option. Um, They're definitely a better option than just sitting it in cash. But even with a lot of automatic enrollments going directly into the target date fund, I still see people that sit funds in cash or in their money market account in their 401k. And this may be the result that at one point they tried to time the market. We're seeing that a lot now where people don't like that the stock market's down this year. So what they do is they'll pull some money out, keep it in cash, but then they forget to reinvest it. And this can go on for for years. And sure, maybe you avoided some of the downturn in, in a year like this year, but over a longer period of time, keeping it in cash has definitely not been the, the best way to do it. Or it may be just an old 401k that you lost track of. You know, I see some people that they have all these 401ks from previous jobs and they're not sure what they're invested in. They, you know, statements may go into an old address. They lose track of them and the funds may be sitting in cash for, you know, a, a particularly long period of time. Second mistake I see people make a lot is, you know, when it comes time to allocate your investments, the way 401k usually works is they have, you know, in addition to these target date funds, they usually have about, let's say, 20 different fund options that you can invest in. And the way, you know, it usually works is whether you're doing this mostly online now, but it used to be where you'd get a form and you'd have to pick a percentage that you'd, you you know, you start with 100% of your allocation and you divvy it up however you want. You could put all 100% in one and you could split it up and and have 20% in each of five different funds, or you could make up any kind of allocation that you want. What I've seen some people do, and also what the 401k company is required to provide is 
you get a little chart or table that shows each fund and how has that fund performed over different periods of time. So let's say a year, three years, five years, maybe 10 years, and then maybe since the, uh, the fund's inception. It just tells you a straight percentage number. It says, all right, over one year, fund XYZ returned 10%. And then, you know, fund ABC over the past year returned 6%. And I guess it's good to, to look at this, but I'm not sure if it's really a good thing because what a lot of people will do is they'll just look for the highest performing funds. And they'll say, all right, if I'm comparing these two funds, one returned 10%, one returned 6%, I'm going to take the 10% fund. Maybe that fund does better in the future. But maybe the risk in that fund is too high. Maybe it just had a good year. And that's why you always hear that statement that past performance does not indicate future. The other thing, too, it doesn't take into account that is any fees or expenses on these these funds. Um, there are studies out there that show that, you know, having a fund that has a higher fee on it doesn't necessarily just, you know, that the performance overall over a long period of time doesn't necessarily justify the fee and I'm all for, you know, if a fee is justified, if it's worth it to pay a fund with a higher fee, then do it. But you definitely want to look at the risk return of these uh, funds and, you know, what's, what, what are the differences between risks if one is returning 10, one's returning six, because that's important as well. And as far as allocating to different funds, another problem I see with the way people do it is they'll actually look at the list of 20 available options and they'll put a small percentage into each one. They're definitely not intended to do that. You'll always see a lot more fund options on the equity or on the stock side than you will on the bond side, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should just allocate, say, 4% to uh, 25 different funds. I've even seen what people do is there'll be multiple target date funds, like the ones we just talked about where they have the year on it, and they'll allocate some to each of those target date funds. By doing that, it's really hard to tell what investments are in your 401k, even if you're just looking at the high level, how much is my allocation towards stocks? How much is my allocation towards bonds? It's really impossible to tell. If you're going to use target date funds, make them your only investment. Just invest a 100% into the target date fund that is closest to the year that you're expected to retire. It's definitely better than not having a strategy or keeping it cash or making, you know, in this case, we're talking about the example of making a mess with your allocations. But like I mentioned earlier, the target date fund, it's not necessarily the best option. So a couple potential issues with target date funds, the way a target date fund works is it, it'll say like fidelity retirement 2045. So anyone that's expected to retire close to 2045, this would be the option that they would go with. And within that fund, fidelity will add multiple funds in it. They may have Fidelity Magellan Fund or the Fidelity Total Stock Market Fund or, you know, a bunch of funds in there. Now, because it's funds inside of a fund, you got multiple layers there, it means that there's multiple fees. So one of the problems with target date funds is a lot of times the fees are higher and expenses are higher on them than if you just invested directly into the funds. But again, you're also losing out on that automatic, you know, move to being more conservative in, in the portfolio over a period of time. The, another problem is different fund companies, they can vary wildly on how they allocate their investments inside the fund, you know, even for the same year. So let's say you have the Fidelity 2045 fund and maybe the Vanguard 2045 fund. You would think that, okay, they probably have a pretty close allocation to each other. That's not necessarily the case. Vanguard may look at it differently. They may have, you know, not just from like a straight stock and bond perspective, but Vanguard may have more international exposure or Fidelity may have more long-term bond exposure. And 
you may get lucky and the one you go with is the perfect allocation strategy for you, or you know, you may not know what getting into. Not with 401ks, but one area where we saw this really shed light on was in 2008, 2009 with 529 plans. Then 529 plans are the college savings plans. They have the same concept. They have these target date expected to be when your child's about to start college. And what happened in 2008, 2009, a lot of these target date funds that were very close to college years were way too aggressive. And um, a lot of people got blindsided on how big their losses were right as their kid was about to start college. Now, starting college, you, know, you usually have a four or five year time horizon when the funds are going to be needed. With retirement, it's a little bit different. You know, even someone that's, let's say, retiring in 2025, which is three years off, and you would say, all right, you're expecting a really conservative allocation, and they're turning 65 in in 2025, they may still live for another 30, 35 more years. So the time horizon is different, and it's definitely something that you need to, to look at. But like I said, target date funds are fine. Whenever we help someone with their allocation, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll come and they'll give us, these are the list of my options that I have within my 401k. What should I do? So what we'll do is we'll we'll do a, a comparison. We'll look at the risk return profile of the target date fund. We have software that can come up with an optimal allocation with all of their options, between all of their options that they have. And it looks at how to diversify risk out or you know what the highest projected return is. And then we'll tell them, you know, in some cases, the target date fund comes out better than the best allocation that or the optimal allocation that they can make with their other options. And in some cases, they can make a better allocation. They individually select funds than going with the target date funds. So, you know, you really want to look at what are all the available options and is the target date fund the best one? Another mistake I see people make is they invest either too conservatively or too aggressively. So if we take this year as an example, the S&P is down about 15%, but People aren't buying more stock, even though the prices are cheaper. A study from Alliance Life came out and said that just one in four Americans say it's a good time to invest in the stock market, and 65% say they're keeping more money than they should out of the market out of fear of investment losses. The recommendation here is if you're making contributions to your 401k during every payroll period, keep it going. There's something called dollar cost averaging, which helps you in times like this when the market you know, has gone down over a period of time. And just an example of this is, let's say your contribution every pay period is $1,000. And today, let's say you know, you're know you buying that, you're putting that $1,000 into one fund whose price per share is $100. You know, obviously you put in $1,000, price per share is $100, you can buy 10 shares of fund XYZ. But fund XYZ price goes down. So now it's priced at $90 a share. Now, the next time you go and allocate your money, your $1,000 can now buy, you know, 11.11 shares of fund XYZ, and it changes your average price that you have per share to about $95 a share. You know, so you're able to lower the average price that you have, and then when the recovery does happen, your price per share will be lower, and therefore you'll have more shares and your gains will have improved. But on the contrary, I see people being too aggressive with their 401ks. You really want to match your allocation with how much risk you need to hit your goals, which with a 401k for most people, it's not run, you know, having this pool of assets built up where they don't run out of money in retirement. But I see too many people, even as they're aging, even as they're getting close to retirement, their goal is just to beat the S&P 500. 
And I'm all for competition and benchmarking and measuring. But, you know, a lot of times it doesn't make sense because it's just too aggressive. And then what happens a lot of times when people are too aggressive, there's a drop and then they see the drop. And what happens is then emotions take place or their behaviors take place. And all of a sudden they do probably something irrational with their 401k, like which is back to trying to just time it and put money, keep money on cash and keep it on the, on the sidelines. Fidelity did a study that most successful 401k investors were ones that lost the password to their online account. And I think it was sort of a, a you know, it comes out funny and, and sounding like a joke, but it actually was a study that they did to compare on investor performance. And then another study, which was done by Richard Bernstein Advisors, they ran an analysis of 20 years of investing data. And what their conclusion was is that the average investor underperformed every asset category from 1993 to 2013 with the exception of Asian emerging markets and Japan. And this included actually underperforming cash, which was represented by three-month T-bills. And you'd say, well, how can they actually underperform cash if they were like, you know, trying to time it and the worst that they could do was sitting in cash? Well, it's because that natural behavior is to be really confident when the market is going up and then be fearful when the market is going down. When, when I say confident, meaning you're adding, you're adding, you're adding as the market's going up. And as the market's going down, you're selling, you're selling, you're selling. And what happens a lot of times is you wind up selling at low and then you wait until the market recovers and then you go in and you're confident and then you add your money back. So you're almost like locking in losses by taking that measure. The other one that I see people do a lot is they'll just buy the S&P 500 index in their 401k. So they'll say, you know what? I'm a believer in just US large cap stocks. I don't need fixed income. I don't need small or mid caps or any international stocks. This has worked out great over like the past five to 10 years because U.S. large cap stocks, for the most part, were the best performer. But I always point back to the year 2000 to 2009, which was called the lost decade because the S&P 500 had actually started higher than it finished after, after 10 years. There are numerous or countless studies on why diversification works from both a perspective of trying to smooth out your returns but also, you know, trying to avoid those emotions taking place. And when you see the big dips, making some, some irrational decisions with your 401k investments. And then, you know, fixed income. And I've had people say, well, I never want to touch a bond. And the reason actually it used to be the reason for adding bonds to your portfolio was for hedging and for diversification. If the stock market is down, a lot of people would put money into bonds and therefore the bond price would go up and it would hedge a little bit or like I said, smooth out that return. But what's happened over the past year with interest rates rising, the interest in some bonds that they're providing, it can be acceptable to some investors, you know, especially as you're getting closer to retirement and you're looking for income in the portfolio. So, you know, while I always say talk to a financial professional before making decisions, fixed income may be one that you do want to take a deeper look at now. Okay, so we covered some of the major mistakes I see people making that can trip up their 401k investments, sabotage their retirement. I think we all want to go in, you know, managing our 401k with the best intention. I don't think anyone ever goes in and says, yeah, I'm going to try and uh, underperform with my 401k allocations. But, you know, sometimes our emotions or sometimes what we hear in the media, it can get in the way of that. So if you'd like to see if you can make any improvements on how you're managing your 401k, you can schedule a call with us at boutisfinancial.com backslash call. And thanks for tuning in today. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.